at first that became kind of the 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 end all be all so to speak it's like that is the pursuit that is what i'm after and thankfully i didn't break it really soon because i think if i had i'd maybe be a lot more like attached to that uh it took me almost six years to eventually get to a point where in 2019 i broke the 100 mile world record at the time and by the time i got there though i had learned throughout that process that really what was motivating me and what kept the whole process sustainable was enjoying the process itself right. and really discovering what it takes to push my body to its limit hello beautiful people on today's podcast we have zach bitter zach is an ultramarathon athlete coach and host of the human performance outliers podcast he has broken both the world and American records in running 100 miles, that's 160 kilometers, in 11 hours, 19 minutes, and 13 seconds. What I love about this conversation is the difference between Zach and I and how much I learned from him. As many of you know, I absolutely love endurance running. I love it for the experience, the adventure, the uncertainty, and the unknown. And yes, Zach certainly runs for the experience, but to be a world record holder in running 100 miles on the track, it is necessary to remove as much as you can in relation to this uncertainty and the unknown. There is a lot of great advice right down to specificity in the conversation that will help with increasing your performance. And there is a lot we can learn from Zach in terms of commitment. It took Zach six years of dedication to achieve the world record, and we go deep on what supported him in staying on the path of greatness during those years. Please enjoy this conversation with Zach. Welcome to the podcast, Zach. Thanks for having me on. So Zach, I've uh, been listening to quite a few of your podcasts recently. They're absolutely exceptional. The value that you provide is absolutely phenomenal. And I was listening to one that you did with Chris Williamson and something that you said was really, really interesting. You were kind of talking about this line with ultramarathon running between sort of the health benefits of running and then going into almost like this sense of like masochism. And he he brought up a really valid point in terms of like, well, you know, what is the sacrifice? Are you shortening your lifespan by putting your body under so much pressure with these ultramarathons that you do? And you kind of answered really interestingly that you'd sort of prefer to live this life of maximum fulfillment and kind of potentially cut off a few years at the end than to kind of live in this sort of I guess, role of being comfortable. Can you share more about that perspective? Yeah. Yeah. That was a fun interview with Chris. He definitely Mm. dove into kind of the psychology and the thought process behind kind of the why and everything, which was interesting. And yeah. um, Yeah. You know, the way I kind of look at it is like, if you're, I mean, if you run a hundred miles to complete exhaustion, you kind of know intuitively that like, yeah, I'm not adding years to my life by doing this. (laughs) Yeah. So then you're kind of at a point where you're, you're you're kind of thinking like, well, am I negatively impacting it in a major way? And the way I look at kind of running and, or anything really, like there's always kind of a little bit of a margin of diminishing returns at a certain point. So, you know, when you find yourself on the starting line of a hundred mile race, chances are you're, you, you don't need to be doing that to promote longevity. So then the next question is just, is longevity the goal? 
And I think to a degree it is, it's like, I want to live as long as I'm happy and excited to be kind of starting the day. And I don't know that I care so much about like the actual length of it as much as I do having like, you know, a reason to be doing what I'm doing while I'm doing it. And Mm. whether that gets cut off is cut off at a certain point is somewhat irrelevant. Although I do think like, I say that with like sort of a point of having achieved a lot of things that I would have never imagined achieving in pretty Mm -hmm. much the first like two thirds of my life. And that kind of has to be probably considered too, because, you know, it's not too common that someone in their mid thirties is, is accomplishing things that they, that, that they're, they're ready to say, okay, well, I don't know if, um, I don't know if I could have ever done that before. So I try to appreciate that as, as when, when you look into kind of like the longevity community and the average person just kind of decide like, what do they want to, what decisions do they want to make to uh, make their life better? And, you know, there's right. a lot of like inputs to that equation, like family and, you know, people around you and things like that. So um, for me, I think it is like, I mean, I have a, I have a sense of like, I want to be able to be like productive and energetic and independent as long as I can. But if that comes at the expense of absolute fulfillment in what I'm doing, then Mm. I'd rather get cut off short. So um, we just don't know a lot about ultra marathons in general, in terms of just what it actually is doing or not doing to our, to our bodies and things like that. I think the act being active is, is obviously an important aspect to longevity, but um, the the input is probably fairly minimal compared to what I'm doing. So then you have right. to kind of like you're in self preservation to some degree too, where where you you take some risks when you need to at races and things like that. Mm-hmm. But generally speaking, you have to try to get everything else in order too, so that it doesn't have as big of a negative impact. And the way I look at it is, some people look at like the the funny thing is like people look at my training and my racing things like I'm like. Oh, that's kind of cool. You can just eat whatever you want. You can kind of just, you don't have to really think about like, you know, restricting food or that sort of stuff. And it's like to a degree from like a quantity standpoint, that's probably true to the, for the most part. But in terms of like being able to actually continue to do what I'm doing, I actually have to pay much closer attention. Cause if I, all Mm -hmm. I had to do is sit at a desk all day long, then like I can kind of abuse my body a little bit more and not have to ask it to do too much above just stationary work. Whereas you get to a point where you've been running races as long as I have sort of a scenario where like, you're really trying to like nitpick at little things to, to really find improvement. Cause you've sort of already checked away some of the major, like kind of big, not big movers, like getting good quality sleep and recovering from your workouts, putting in the proper training and all that sort of stuff. And in 2010, you did your first ultra marathon to my understanding Mm-hmm. I'd love to kind of play this out just in terms of your headspace because this obviously sort of changed the trajectory of your life deeply in the sense of achievement and fulfillment that you've experienced. What was it about that first ultra marathon that kind of gave you that, I don't know if it's that hit or whatever it was, that experience that really got you to be like, yeah, this is it. This is what I really want to spend my time doing in my life. Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting question. I think, um, generally speaking with running, I feel like just not knowing quite enough to be dangerous, <laughs> if you want to <laughs> say it that way, has been really good for me. I, in high school, 
I didn't really take running all that seriously until maybe my junior, senior year. Mm-hmm. And I think that's led to a lot of my success today because I didn't get too overly invested in it. And I mean, who knows? I mean, maybe I, even if I had, I wouldn't have been good enough at the distances and the things we were doing at the distances targeted at that age to, to really get overly invested in it. But my mindset has always felt like by the time I got around to being serious about running in a way that a lot of my peers were, I was basically an adult. So I could, I, I sort of had a slow ramp into it and running is definitely a kind of a patient person's like pursuit in the sense that mm-hmm. you're looking at years and years of development to finally get to where you want to be ultimately. And my trajectory through it came with some success, enough success to be really interested in it and enough like like information being kind of fed to me at a gradual enough rate where I didn't have too much or so much that I got overly invested in it, but enough to stay interested to the point to where when I got to like my college running experience, I wasn't good enough to think like, you know, screw academics, I'm all in on running uh, or like dreams of being an Olympic athlete or something like mm-hmm. that at like the standard kind of Olympic distances but enough where I knew it was something I wanted to do and I really wanted to challenge myself physically with that. So my thought line then was like, I'm going to have a career that sort of is interesting and engaging for me that I can use to, you know, essentially take care of the financial side of life. But my hobby side of things is going to be invested heavily in running. And it wasn't until um, after that first race for sure, but that first race I did in 2010 was definitely kind of one of a race that stuck on my mind in the sense that, you know, rather than being like pretty good amongst the best, uh, you know, I won the race. So I was like, okay, well, this is, this is better than finishing fourth place at like a middle mid-sized marathon or something like right. that. And, um, to me that was kind of like, okay, well maybe there's, there's more to explore within the world of running outside of like the limitations that I had put on myself prior, which mm-hmm. was sort of like the marathon and below was just basically what still most people probably consider like running events that someone could potentially be a professional at the ultra marathon's grown a lot since I started. But at that time it was very much like that wasn't going to be a career. It was going to be something I challenged myself with, but, uh, it kind of continued to kind of keep that fire, I guess, ignited to keep like deciding to like, I'm going to invest 15, 20 hours a week into preparing for these things. Even if it means that that is coming out of my, my personal time versus my professional time. Uh, yeah. So I think like, having that experience for my first one was probably very rewarding and important in the sense that it kind of kept me on the trajectory that I was heading on to get to where I am today. I want to talk to you about success because I have sort of heard you speak about that, you know, obviously we're all aging and as we age, I mean, ultra marathons kind of interesting. There is kind of a bit of a later date until which you sort of start getting slower, which is really fun in ultra marathon running. But yeah. I've heard you kind of say that when you do get to that point where, whether it be sort of, I, I assume in your later forties, early fifties, that you may take up more strength training or something different. Is that sort of still where you see yourself heading? Is it more ultra marathon running is really this element of competition and then you feel like you will do less of it sort of when it starts sort of, I guess you're going over the mountain, so to speak, and it begins being more about the experience. 
Yeah, it's interesting. I feel like this has been some of a, of a paradigm shift for me personally throughout my my life and career where there were points in my life where it was like almost like a point of stress where you think about like, well, what do I what am I going to do when I'm like 60, 65, 70, yeah. 75? Like obviously I'm not going to be competitive at any running races at that point outside of like age group stuff. So it's like at, earlier on in my life I would have been like, well, I'm going to be running in some capacity. So maybe that is chasing age group. Maybe that is just kind of doing it for the fun of it again, which I have a pretty good background in doing. So it's not something that's necessarily like fearful to me to be like non-competitive, but still participating in the sport. Uh, but, you know, I'm also very into just like activity and just, just kind of self-challenge. So uh, one thing I think that really shaped my current view is in 2013, I ran a race called the Desert Celsius Track Invitational. And that was kind of the race that more or less put me in a position to kind of start thinking about running as being a career option versus being a hobby. And when I ran that race and finished there, I broke an American record for 100 miles and a world record for 12 hours, distance run in 12 hours. And my my next goal was like, well, I'm not that far away from the world record for 100 miles. Maybe that should be my next goal. And at first that became kind of the, 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 the end all be all, so to speak. It's like, that is the pursuit. That is what I'm after. And thankfully I didn't break it really soon because I think if I had, I'd maybe be a lot more like attached to that. Mm. Uh, it took me almost six years to eventually get to a point where in 2019, I broke the hundred mile world record at the time. And by the time I got there though, I had learned throughout that process that really what was motivating me and what kept the whole process sustainable was, enjoying the process itself right. and really discovering what it takes to push my body to its limit. And that's sort of independent of what anyone else is doing. So obviously having things like, you know, world records, American records, or even just being like remotely close to the fastest time ever is a motivating factor, but it sort of shifted from that to being like, I really want to know like what I'm capable of with this and that can translate into so many other things because if I decided to like pick up strength training or something like that, or like Olympic lifting for just to go to the opposite end of the spectrum, it's like, I'm obviously never going to be an Olympic quality or a professional quality Olympic lifter. But if I'm competing against myself, I can see progress. I can see a point of where like, this is where I want to target. This is the goal. I can set those objectives. And then I kind of discovered about myself that that's really what is kind of really driving me to keep doing this stuff is discovering where my limitations are and trying to find that point as close as I can. So with that sort of paradigm shift, then you have like this little bit of an understanding, like, well, I don't need to be doing ultra marathons to be able to do that. So what are the other options within that? And uh, yeah, that kind of, I think, opened up the door a little bit in my mind as to like, well, what do I want to do with the rest of my life uh, in terms of like, do I want to kind of keep running and be like this person that someone's like, Oh, Zach's still running ultra marathons at age 75. He's been doing it now for almost 50 years. Yeah. <laughs> that, would, that would be kind of cool. No, no yeah. doubt about it. But, but I don't know if that's necessarily something that I'm going to strive for. If mm -hmm. it happens to play out where like I continue to enjoy the process and really enjoy what I'm doing, then maybe that will be the route I go. But I'm a lot more open to the idea of like, let's say at age 50, I'm clearly not running a faster time than I was now or in the next few years and decide I want to invest my time and energy in a different challenge. That's a leap I'm more comfortable making now at this mm -hmm. point in my life than I probably would have been 10 years ago.
And it's beautiful to have that motivator being something positive like enjoyment. But obviously, as you as you shared, it took six years to to get those two world records that you amazingly did. That's certainly a long time in terms of staying true to the goal. What is your self-talk like on the days during those six years where you wake up and it doesn't feel like a sense of enjoyment? How do you kind of stay on the path over such a duration? Yeah, I think there was a degree of imperfection in every race I had done uh, up to that point that indicated to me that with the right circumstance, I can do this. And that's mm-hmm. where like that, that, that kind of spark never really like got snuffed out, I guess. Yeah. So like the one, I think like the, the more I look back at it, the more important I think this experience was, is in 2015, I was in great shape and I had like a really good training build up to a race, uh, that I was going to chase the, the world record for hundred miles at, and I was probably more optimistic about doing it that day than I had been at any other point. And in fact, I was probably more optimistic about it that, that day than I was in 2019 going into the race where I actually did it. And I was on, I was ahead of world record pace through 80 miles and had, I didn't completely fall apart, but I fell apart enough where the world record slipped by me, still broke the American record uh, for a hundred miles that day. So it wasn't like a bad race by any stretch of the imagination, but I knew like it was very clear looking at the data and looking at everything. Like there's this like roughly 20, like 18 to 20 miles of running at the back end of this race, where if I can solve that riddle, I will run significantly faster uh, to the point where I think I'm still within range of being able to, you know, go after the world record. And, And that, that thought process or that day or the experience from that day kind of just like probably stuck in my head every day up until I actually did it. And I think having that was the motivator for me really, where like if I did wake up and I knew here's a situation where uh, if I want to choose to be like lazy, if you want to call it that, I'll take a day off, but really I should be out there training versus I actually need a real rest day. That really fueled me to kind of be, be real truthful to myself about whether it was like time to really kind of push through some discomfort and put in a solid training session, or if I needed to kind of ease back and and let my body recover from a big training session that had already occurred, Mm -hmm. uh, which is kind of the give and take with running in general is that like the stress point of the workout is going to be like one part of the process, but the recovery from it's what's actually going to make you stronger and faster. And having that knowledge was, I think, or that experience, I should say, it was probably what kind of kept me that motivated to kind of stay, stay the course, so to speak. What is your thought process sort of in those situations? Like say you, you go into a race on the track and you have these set goals to meet and for some reason you're not meeting them. Do you... Do you keep yourself in the race no matter what to finish or would you stop yourself sort of just for the benefits of obviously not pushing your body as much as it's sort of required because you are not sort of meeting those set goals that you had in place? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in ultra running, they call that death before DNF or do not finish. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) there's there's definitely like a community of ultra runners who are kind of along that lines. And I, you know, I'm, I'm definitely not a death before DNF, uh, type of person with my, with my racing career. And 
some of that I think is just like you kind of said, there's this self-preservation part when it's your yeah. career. Right. And when you do have, like my career has been, I guess, different than maybe some athletes careers in the sense that the sport has continually grown every year that I've done it. So with that comes more and more opportunities where you have more options of like, well, if I screw up something at mile 60 of this race and the A goals off the table, in theory, I could drop out here and not do too much damage, actually kind of treat it mm -hmm. as like a really big training stimulus. And in four weeks, six weeks, show up at this other event and then have that A goal back on the table a lot sooner when it would be four. So that's sort of the mindset of, I think, like a professional athlete. But then you get a lot of people in the sport, the majority of people in the sport who are doing it for the challenge. They're doing it for just like, I want to prove to myself that I can put together this training block and get to that finish line. And, you know, with that also comes a ton of expenses. There's all the gear and stuff that you use to prepare the time invested in the training, right. the race, the race entry itself. Usually you're traveling for these. So like the flights, the hotel rooms, the crew, if you're going to bring them, pacers, if you're going to bring them, that sort of stuff. That sort of scenario is, I think, a lot more like I, I, I understand the death of death before DNF mentality for something like that, because if you have like this kind of iconic race, it's hard to get into. It's going to cost you like a small fortune to do it. Yeah, you're going to find a way to that finish line, probably, mm -hmm. even if you got to drag yourself there and you're going to have missed like your top five goal targets. So I think maybe like I don't know how I would be if it were if, if I were in kind of that that category versus the category I'm in in terms of like where my kind of projections are or my opportunities are within a sport, mm. given that I do it professionally. Uh, but it is, uh, it's definitely something that to be considered, I think. And there are, there are times though, that I've, I've learned this too, where, and I think you see this in ultra marathoning too, where if you start stringing together like bad race after bad race, you start to lose a little bit of that faith in yourself and you start to lose your ability to kind of push past spots that you really are just that really are just low points that you need to get through and are part of even a really well executed race mm -hmm. so the really interesting thing for me when i kind of look at all the races i've done over my career is you see points where you're like at the mo in the moment i thought like this is a spot i need to bail out and in reality maybe it was just a low point and had i just stayed a little more mentally strong for say 10 15 more minutes i might have had one of my better races in my career so you start to learn a little bit of, you learn more and more about yourself and where those points actually are and what you need to kind of do and what opportunities you need to give yourself. But at the same point, you are balancing out, you know, I need to do, I need to run some quality races at a certain point in order to make this whole situation kind of keep moving in the right direction. <laughs> and recently I um, watched an event online where uh, Killian sort of got uh, pipped on the line, essentially sort of, Killian was coming in and he was sort of, you know, high-fiving the crowd and everyone was celebrating. And because he kind of slowed down to do that, a man kind of passed him oh. like literally <laughs> on the line. And it was quite fascinating because the reason why I heard about it was because it seemed quite controversial in the sense <laughs> that people seem to have differing opinions on what to do in a circumstance like that, whether it be do you let the person in front of you do that or do you, does the race not sort of end till you're across the line? What's your personal opinion on something like that? Yeah, that's that is an interesting kind of point of maybe uh there's differing opinions on that. Like the you know, ultra running in general, I want to say most people and this is 
much more prevalent in Europe because like their races a lot of times have this kind of like setup where it's like mm. when you hit this point, now you're kind of in the finishing shoot and it's more of a victory lap or a celebratory part. So like when you, the, the understanding kind of is like, if you're going to make your move and take that position from the person, you do it before that point. Mm. And once you enter that point, that's just like, you know, just do your, do, you know, address the crowd, give the high fives and all that stuff. So if the person ahead of you is doing that, you do it too. And everyone kind of just kind of falls in place, so to speak. But, um, you know, there are people who uh, are just like, Hey, that's the finish line. And I'm right. not slowing down until I get there. And I mean, there's a similar situation to that years ago where, um, two of the American runners, uh, I think it was Dakota Jones and Zach Miller were in a similar situation. And there's like, the only reason I remember this, because there's this, this hilarious picture of, like Dakota Jones looking like a deer in the headlights and Zach oh, no. Miller was just like charging behind him. And he was thinking, you know, at that point, I think Dakota had run a, quite a few European races. So you kind of knew the protocol and Zach yeah, was kind of right. just like, I mean, Zach's always been like this. He's always like, you know, gas pedal down all the way. And, you know, I'm going to, I'll let off that at when I cross that finish line, regardless of whether I'm like stumbling across or flying across. And, uh, Dakota saw it and sped up and ended up, you know, ended up finishing the way it was quote unquote intended, but it just kind of gives you that mindset of like, you know, there's people have different ideas of what it, yeah. what it is. And like, you know, you, if, if you're going to put a finish line there, I mean, my, my personal opinion is like, I'm fine participating in that sort of an environment. Like if it's like, if that's kind of the, the idea, I'm not going to like, you know, be too upset about it or anything like that. But, you know, generally speaking, like if you're gonna put a finish line down, they do have the right and the opportunity to go for it if they want to. So I'm not going to, you know, dig into that person either in that scenario. So um, it is kind of funny. I, I hadn't realized that I knew that Killian had, had a, was like, I think it was fifth at that race a couple mm -hmm. days ago. And for him, you know, obviously Killian's used to winning everything he does. Uh, granted, that's a really short race for him, but um, yeah, I think maybe, maybe just a little bit of a rough day. I mean, to his credit, he just recently within like the last four or five weeks, won like this hundred mile race out here in the U S called the hard rock hundred through the San Juans, where you do just an insane amount of climbing and descending and like record pace is just under 20 hours, uh, to finish it. So yeah. my guess is he didn't have a lot of pop in his legs for, a, I think yeah. was Sarah's and all is like a 27 K or something like that. Um, so he probably was feeling feeling hard rock a little bit on top of it too. <laughs> and yeah, and then the pip at the end, he's uh yeah, he because he, he kind of like he was quite shocked in that moment. You could see he kind of like realized what was happening and it was too late. It's too late to do anything the about it. Yeah, it guy. takes time to get up to speed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think we all learned some lessons from that. So in terms of growth mindset, Zach, like obviously you're very passionate about growing and expanding. That's sort of, I, I assume, a big part of what's fueled you to be so successful in what you do. But how does that kind of play out to, you know, in ultra marathon running, I feel like you either go further or you go faster. Are you sort of the guy that's just continually going to keep focusing on going faster? Yeah, it's a good question. I think like for, it, it gets interesting. I think like that stands true up to a point and you know it's it gets weird i think there's maybe little shifts and as more people enter the sport and you know, like very popular figures get invested in certain areas mm -hmm. of the sport that sort of shifts a little bit uh in the u.s since like i've been in ultra running the 100 mile distance has just kind of been this one that it was like this it's like the 
the one that everyone aspires to do well at. Uh, and for me, I think that maybe that's part of just like my generation of ultra running that, that will continue to kind of like have that mindset. Uh, and, and that's kind of where I ended up. So like, I sort of kind of follow that track of like, Oh, you know, if 50 miles is cool, hundred K must be better. If hundred K is cool, hundred miles must be better. And that sort of right. the mindset. Uh, but then once I got to hundred miles, I was more or less like, this is kind of the distance I really like. And mm. this is the, the, the environment I like to do it in. And, you know, that was a learning process. Uh, but I th- there is a lot of excitement in the other distances, you know, one that I'm, I've yet to do even remotely good at, uh, that is very interesting to me is the 24 hour event, which is just how far you can get in 24 hours. And, you know, for someone in my position where I've run under 12 hours, a few times for hundred miles, you know, you can get pretty far in 24 hours in that scenario. So it's yeah. like a different event at that point. Uh, and it's, so I think I will probably invest a lot more time and energy into that particular event just because I've given it enough interest so far and just haven't done well at it at all. So walking away from the sport and knowing that like there's some potential there that I never really, really got to would be probably a little bit of a regret, I guess, if you want to call it that. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's also something where I think like, you know, again, like you were saying earlier, it is a sport where the longer the distance get the little bit of a longer timeline you probably have to maximize your potential at. So um, I want to be mindful of there's X number of years likely that I have left where I can run a quality or to my potential hundred mile. And that window will likely close before the 24 hour one. Well, so how many opportunities do I want to spend doing the longer stuff when I still can maximize right. potential at the shorter stuff? And that's sort of been my mindset so far, but you know, with that said, I mean, the 200 mile races are getting a lot more popular now yeah. and just like even less so like specific distance, just like intriguing routes that happen to be like an odd number of miles or kilometers that are beyond a hundred miles are also kind of intriguing. So, uh, there'll be something I would like to explore at some point and a little more, a little more focus, I guess is the way to say it. And I want to get into mindset with you, Zach. I have my first hundred miler in December that I will, uh, try out. (laughs) Yeah. It's it's certainly a goal for me that I'm not 100% sure that I'm capable, but I am 100% sure that I'll give it my best. I'm really excited about that. But I Mm -hmm. thought in sort of meeting with you, it'd be a really good opportunity um, for you to share what are some sort of beginner, like what's a good beginner mindset to go into something like 100 miles? Obviously, it's, it's pretty far and my sort of closest thing to that would be 100 kilometers. So an extra mm-hmm. 60 kilometers on top of that is a pretty decent hit um, and it will particularly be in the mountains as well. But, yeah, how do you – I know that you use a lot of visualization. I would sort of just love to play into what's helped you, how to overcome self-doubt, just anything that sort of springs to mind that you think that would be helpful for someone that's sort of going into that for the first time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the way to answer this question is probably like if I could go back and talk to my younger self mm. before I had the experience I do now, what would I incorporate? What tools would I use or where were the opportunities I missed that were sitting there available to me without any extra cost? Because mm-hmm. I think that's the great starting point. And one of those is like not overly focusing on the physical aspect of it because mm-hmm. you you will physically be able to run 100 miles, get to that finish line. 
uh, you know, barring something that is like unforeseen. So right. really what the way I like to start with it is first, let's normalize what you're trying to do to some degree, because really the mental hurdle mm-hmm. to get over is that what, what you described is like, I'm going to run further than I ever have before. And mm-hmm. anytime you're doing something you've never done before, there's that doubt because you have zero past experience. You, you get to those points in the race where you've never been there before. And it's just easier to doubt yourself because you don't know for sure that you can do it. And what I like to look at is just from a physiological standpoint, uh, you will be able to get to a hundred miles and the amount of time you spend doing that in the 20 weeks, 24 weeks, whatever happens to be that you first decide I'm going to do this race. I'm going to start preparing for it is going to be way, way bigger than the amount of time you spend out doing the actual race itself. Mm. So if you think of it like that, where it's like, if you were to try to wrap your head around the entire training approach that is going to get you to the starting line in one thought process, it would be overwhelming and unsustainable for you to really do. Mm. So you take it a day at a time or a week at a time, and you find these little chunks that you're kind of focusing on. And those all add up to getting you ready for the race itself. And the race itself is the same thing. It's just, it's just kind of congested into a, a a much tighter time window, but you kind of want to use the same mindset. Like you don't want to be thinking when you're standing on that starting line, I'm running hundred miles today. And then when you get to mile one, okay, 99 to go mile two, 98 <laughs> to go. Like, like that's going to be self-defeating to a degree. Cause eventually yeah. you're going to get to a point where you're not feeling great. And you know, you have to just kind of persevere, but you're looking at, you know, 40 miles or 60 kilometers or whatever it happens to be. And trying to, if, if you get to that point, you start kind of like asking the wrong questions like, oh, well, that's as far as I've ever run in a training workout. Right. And I have to do that. And I feel miserable. It's only mm-hmm. can get worse. And I already feel bad. You kind of have to get, and you probably experienced some of this with the hundred K too, where there are these points where you feel like really rough and your mind kind of goes to this linear mindset of if it's bad now, it can only get worse. It's already mm-hmm. intolerable. I can't imagine sustaining hours more of worse discomfort than this. <laughs> I think that's what causes most people to drop out when it's not some mm-hmm. sort of physical thing like a rolled ankle or you know puking your guts out because your nutrition backfired on you or something like that. Uh, so like you have to really understand that like just like in your training, you might have like a really bad workout. And then two days later, just absolutely nail a workout or the opposite way. Same thing with the race. Like at, at mile 60, you might fight, feel miserable, but at mile 68, you might feel better than you did all day long. Mm. So knowing that and trusting that that is the case will really help you pull yourself out of those lows that would normally sideline someone or get them to pull out and instead decide, all right, I just have to kind of minimize my current goals and just get to like, you, know, you can shorten your goal as little as you want. It can be like, I just need to get to that next tree. And then right. when I get there, I'll decide what I want to do next. And when you're feeling good, you might stretch that out to like, oh, I'm just going to get to the next aid station. But either way, you're kind of like biting off manageable chunks mm-hmm. based on where you are in the moment. And then if you just kind of stay consistent with that, ultimately, it's not that long amount of time that you're out there comparatively to what you did to prepare for it. So if you keep reminding yourself of that, you start thinking in more of a like an opportunity cost of, you know, I already put in like, I'm already 99% of the way there when I'm standing on the starting line. So why would I stop now when I have this that last part to kind of finalize? 
So it feels like you're very strategic and logical in your headspace. Is there any element of like personal self-talk in terms of like, you know, I have heard you speak about this and I certainly resonate. It's like you kind of know your why, but when you're out there, you kind of need layers of that Mm -hmm. (laughs) because the first why you can only sort of self-talk for so many hours before that kind of like gets thrown over the shoulder. Um, What do you sort of like recommend in relation to that sort of fuel of motivation? Yeah, I think really what you what what really works well, I think, is making that kind of happen default where you start gravitating towards the the positivity or that you can do it. And where mm-hmm. where I think I missed a lot of opportunities earlier in my running career that if I could go back and redo now, I'd pay more attention to would be like just little signs of being able to practice that and ingrain that during your training. So take example, like let's say you're doing like these hill repeats that take you two minutes to finish and you're going to do eight of them and you get to like the third one and you start kind of second guessing yourself. You're like, you know what? I'm already feeling kind of rough after three. Maybe these next five is not smart. Maybe I should stop at five or six. Mm. That is an opportunity to refocus and just start to kind of like retract your, 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 how far you're envisioning what you're trying to do that day and just be like, okay, well, I'm done with three. Let's just finish four. We'll worry about five after that. Mm. And again, just, just keep this it's little really piece that of chunking, comfort. isn't it? Yeah, it is. And then you yeah. can even give yourself a little bit of grace and just say, Hey, you know what? I'm going to do four. And if four's absolutely terrible and I can't wrap my head around five, then I'll stop at four. You usually finish four and then think like, well, I can wrap my hand around five. And then you do five. Well, I can wrap my head around six. And then before mm-hmm. you know it, you're one or two away from finishing. And at that point, you're going to finish. And it really is the same way. And I, I do think like if you give yourself the opportunity to acknowledge that and really actually like process that thought, that thought line in the workouts that you have available to you on almost a weekly basis, when you do get to a race itself, rather than getting to that point and thinking super negatively and having all these negative self doubts creep into your head, you start kind of thinking more along that same line of like, well, I've done this dozens of times already where I had this point where I felt like I couldn't do it. And then every time I did it, and I just think that's, yeah, it cuts a grain in your, in your mental path. Mm -hmm. Uh, that really, I think is useful in these races that are kind of long like that. And how do you utilize visualization in your training to help with sort of the day of performance? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is like a specificity thing. And whether we're looking at it physiologically or mentally, we're looking at like, what workouts are you going to do? They're going to be the most specific to race day where you can really relate to what you'll be doing, really mm-hmm. practice your strategy, whether it be your mental headspace or your fueling, your hydration, your pacing and all that stuff. So for ultra marathons, that's always going to be the long run or back-to-back long run or running camps where you're doing three days in a row of pretty high volume and things like that. And Those opportunities are ones where I think if you can put yourself in the headspace that you're going to be in those points where it matters the most on race day, that's the time to practice that. That's your dress rehearsal potential. So like if I'm going out for a long run, I'm envisioning like however long that run is, you know, whether it's three hours, four hours or five hours, I'm thinking this is how far I am from the finish line at the hundred mile race I'm going to do. And I'm just going to pretend that I'm going through those paces uh, and envision, visualize what it is, like where I would be, how I want to behave, how I want to think and what I want to pull on for motivation. 
and just take inventory of all that stuff because all that stuff is going to be useful on race day. Uh, and it really is a unique thing to, to hundred mile racing because it's just this weird distance where it doesn't benefit you to run it in training. Mm -hmm. So physically anyway, so like you sort of have this situation where even if you've run a hundred miles before, you're probably looking at months, sometimes years from the last time you had that experience. That's a long time to draw from. Right. So if you can, if you can kind of pretend you're doing that multiple times during your race specific training, it's going to be in close proximity. So then when let's say you get to mile 70 in the race that you're going to do, if you're thinking about like that last run of a back-to-back -back long run or something like that, or just a long day that you, you did out on like similar terrain or something like that, you can kind of like pull from that experience as like the, the point of reference versus trying to imagine something you've never done before. And in terms of pacing, cause this is sort of something that I'm certainly trying to figure out at the moment is with the sort of hundred milers that you've done, do you keep with the same pacing strategy for each one? Is it intuitive? Like how do you sort of go about being able to pace something that can sort of be to sort of that longer distance? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it depends a bit on the course, but like if it's mm -hmm. like a really controlled course, like what I've kind of prioritized over my career, some of it, it's just like, I kind of, I've got some knowledge in terms of prior races as to like where I, what I should be targeting to make an improvement. And then you have a pretty fixed time. And when you're on a train that's consistent the whole way, it's a little easier to say, well, if this is the pace I want to run, I should pay, stay pretty close to it. It gets a little more difficult on the trails. Cause you have like, you know, one mile isn't, or one kilometer or one mile isn't necessarily comparable to the next. Cause you might be right. going uphill on a 15% grade and then downhill the same grade It's a very different experience. So their effort becomes a little more important, but either way, what I usually like to do is when you do get those kind of race specific training opportunities, just pay attention to kind of like how you're feeling on those. And I really like having like a few long runs where you're going to go out on kind of tired legs so that you're sort of mm -hmm. in a physiological space that you'd be similar to deep into a hundred mile race. And then for that, just kind of pay attention to like, what does this effort feel like and what kind of pace is it producing? And then start building from there. I think most people are still probably going to want to pull back a little bit from that at the early stages of a hundred mile, because, you know, you're tapered, you're fresh, you have the, mm -hmm. the adrenaline and all the anxiety <laughs> and everything that comes with standing on a starting line with another group of people that are doing the same crazy thing you are. <laughs> and, uh, and kind of think about it like that and just like, all right, I'm going to probably feel a little better and produce a little faster pace than what it should early on. And then once I get, you know, a little bit into this race, 20, 30% in, that'll start to normalize. So I need to be kind of mindful of that. So in that case, I think whatever effort felt in that kind of peaking long run phase of your training, pull back a little bit from that early on. And then once you get maybe a third into the race, then just start to kind of normalize like that feeling that you had kind of running that long run on tire legs. And, and at that point, really, it's more about, I think, minimizing your goals in terms of where you're trying to get at any given time. So whether that's the tree up ahead or the next aid station and also knowing like, what do I need to do fueling and hydration wise in order to make this sustainable so that you don't have that be the limiting factor for you, then uh, that's kind of how you end up pacing yourself. Right. But I think generally speaking with ultra marathons, like we've seen a lot of positive splits uh, even from the, the folks up front, 
And I think some of that's just like this mindset of, you know, I need to bank some time early because that's when my legs are refreshed. My mind is going to be fresh. And we sort of doubt our ability to feel good and perform good at the end of a race, regardless of how conservative or aggressive we are. And I think in reality, like when, if you experience a race where you run stronger in the second half than you did the first half, you start to reimagine like what is actually capable with that sort of a scenario. And I do think like most ultra runners could benefit from starting out a little slower and that would likely save them more time at the end than they, they spent going slow in the beginning. And I've heard you sort of describe an ultra marathon as sort of providing this opportunity of experiencing a spectrum of emotion, which I think anyone that's done an ultra marathon can certainly relate to that roller coaster. What do you feel like has been the most valuable sort of element of experiencing that through an ultra marathon? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of goofy because I, even on like a normal day, there's just, it's pretty rare you experience the number of emotions that you can during a yeah. hundred mile race. Like you can be <laughs> yeah. like, feel the best you've ever, you feel like the, you know, it could feel like the best day of your life one moment. It can feel like the worst day of your life, like yeah. within minutes of that and vice yeah. versa. So you kind of walk away from that experience. I think feeling like you had the experiences that would take weeks, months, if you years in some mm -hmm. cases, all bundled up into this really tight time frame. And I think that kind of really teaches you a lot about not just like what you're capable of doing, but also just the, you know, the range of emotions that make being like, make the engaging with the world, what it is where like, there's so much unpredictables that you can't control. So it's like, you're going to have to be able to adapt to those while also making sure you're accounting for the things you can control and making the best of that. And, you know, sometimes that means like little progress for a lot of, a lot of output. And other times it's a, a lot of uh, output for very little or a lot of progress for very little input is, is how it kind of gets processed in mm -hmm. you. And I think that really just teaches you that those things are there and how to maybe navigate that. And, and that can be used in, your next running race, or it can be just used in life in general. You know, some days I, I'll sit down to work on stuff that I want to get done. And I feel like I work twice as hard as I normally would and only got like minimal amount of what I was intending to accomplish. And the other days I feel like I barely put in any time, but for whatever reason, things were clicking just right. And I got done like two, three times as much as I would have thought. And it's sort of the same. So you got to, you, you sort of have to like kind of acknowledge that those things all will average out to be the totality of what you're able to do and sort of have both that short-term focus, but also that idea of what the long-term long-term is as well. And I'm sure you've learned many lessons about yourself over the years. What is one that you can kind of reflect on currently that you're really grateful for? Um, yeah, it's a good question. Uh, I think if I had to pick one, I would say just, I think my, if maybe this is maybe like not exactly what you're asking, but like my college running experience really stands out to me because I didn't, I didn't really like ever achieve what would be considered like, you know, a really good performance at that point in time, but it taught me to be patient. And it taught me to really enjoy what I was doing and not really care so much about winning or being the best in the room, so to speak. And, but, you know, before that, I think it was probably, there's a lot of just like 
how do I find what I'm not only what I'm best at, but what I can beat other people at. Mm -hmm. And you can use that stuff for motivation, I think. And some people do a very good job of using that as motivation, but I don't know that I'm necessarily the personality that would be very good with that sort of a mentality. So for me, I think it was learning, learning that like, this isn't any one thing. And really, if you're just patient, you stay consistent with something, then you're gonna, you're gonna reach spots you would have never imagined, almost regardless of what it is. And it may be relative to what other people are able to do in that particular pursuit. But there is really, a, I think, I think a lot of a lot of people put limitations on themselves, because the 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 totality of what is required to stay consistent with it long enough to do to do better than average even uh, is is not something that they're necessarily thinking about. So um, I think that's just impacted the way I look at anything I start. Like if I start something and I'm like not good at all at it. I mean, take podcasting, for example, like when I started my podcast, like it was a total learning experience. I had no clue how to edit a podcast, no idea, no clue about audio quality, whether microphones are better than others, webcams and all that stuff that comes into it. And it's like, it's like, yeah, some of the early, the early shows have like really poor audio quality and there's definitely (laughs) a learning curve there. And then, but then we look back at it from, you know, all the episodes and where you got to where you were in the beginning, it's just like, wow, I came all that way. And I learned all that stuff. I have these like these skills and things that translate into other things too. Like you start to realize like, oh, I know how to like edit a video now. So like, what else can I use video editing stuff for that I don't have to necessarily outsource to and things like that. So just the number of like, I think that experience was maybe the first one that I really had where it was like very clear to me when I look back at it, that that was something that impacted the way I maybe view any pursuit I do in life Mm. at this point. Yeah, I I always feel like that's one of the most beautiful takeaways that I hear in common with people is is through ultra marathon running and the spectrum of experience that it provides, being able to bring that back into your everyday life is really what's so sort of transformational about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think it's I think to to a big degree too. uh, I mean, you think I mean I think about this sometimes too. You just think of just like what it would be like to live a couple hundred years ago. And Mm. there's like this idea of just like, it's so different, right. That you can hardly wrap your head around, like just even just the protocol to like exist in a timeframe like that. And, you know, there's, there's super hard things today, just like there was back then. And there are things that were like out of sight, out of mind back then that are very prevalent and important today that we spend a lot of time Mm. and energy trying to like dissect and figure out. And, and really it just comes down to just, you know, like what is, what is the major priority here? And when I make that a priority, how far can I actually get, how much more can I actually do than what I feel like I'm able to do? Mm-hmm. And there's nothing really that I can find that is as comparable to that, to something like a hundred mile race where, uh, you know, you, you have to stand on that starting line. Like we kind of said before, either knowing I've never done this before and I'm going to try to do it today or. I've done this before, but really I've only done it a few times and, uh, I've been running for my whole life almost. So it is, you know, you get, you get, you get to learn a lot about yourself with situations like that and what you're actually capable of. Well, thanks so much for this conversation, Zach. You're as, as I started this conversation with, you're such a, um, 
generous person with the amount of value that you provide, whether it be on other people's podcasts or your own. Um, I know that you sort of have your own business in coaching as well. And I just think it's um, a beautiful representation of the contribution that you provide through your own sense of achievement. Yeah, well, thanks a bunch for having me on. It's, I, I love sharing it because I think uh, maybe it's partly my background as, as a teacher, but it's like I always find if you have information that helped you, then you share it with other people. Mm-hmm. And there's there's really nothing better than sharing something with someone and then having them come back later and say, like, this changed this for me in such a meaningful way. Right. It's just a different feeling. And I think with running... I've had that opportunity to do it at a much bigger level than I would have ever had anywhere else where your impact, you can potentially impact someone without even knowing you're doing it. Uh, sometimes, you know, you're doing it or you, you assume you're trying to do it anyway, and then you get that piece of feedback, but it's, you know, it's very much worth it. So, uh, you know, I love, I love going on the other podcasts and my own podcasts and coaching and all that stuff. Cause it does feel like you're kind of part of a community all helping each other versus this kind of more narrow, like individual goal. I heard you actually share a perspective. It just made me think of, it was quite interesting how you were talking about a sense of contribution through sort of you breaking world records because it's kind of moving sports forward. And I thought that was a really beautiful perspective that you had sort of within this because obviously it could be easy to an extent to be caught up as you're suggesting in your own sort of sense of individualism in competition but it's also really cool to think that your progress is actually also inspiring other people to progress too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's like had, had, uh, had the, there not been records when I decided to try chase it, mm-hmm. you know, like who knows what I would have put down as like the goal time or what limitations I would have placed on myself based on what I thought I was capable of versus what I wanted to try to do. And it's like, you move that bar forward. There's going to be like, dozens if not more people who say okay well that's the mark i'm going to get past and i'm going to do it and then you're kind of a piece of this like grander exploration of you kind of move away from how fast can i run 100 miles to how fast can a human run 100 miles yeah and just to be able to play a part in that exploration i think is is a cool experience and probably one of the more meaningful experiences that i've been able to have with that yeah absolutely and speaking of human exploration I'd love to ask you, Zach, what does it mean to you to be human? Yeah, it's a great question. I think really to be human is to be honest with yourself about where your passions lie. And once you identify that, be very comfortable and open to failure because that's where you're going to learn your lessons. When you fail, that is that is life kind of saying, this is where you went wrong in a lot clearer way. Like when I have a really good race, it's a lot harder to reflect on because if I can't find points to improve upon or points that went wrong, I have a lot less opportunity to think of like, where, where do I go now? Mm -hmm. So really embracing kind of those spots that maybe in the moment feel like this wasn't the way I wanted to go. If I would have just done that differently, this would have been and start fixating on that in a negative way versus, all right, I've got some progress to be made. Here are the the things I want to do to, to try to clear that up. It becomes a lot more, I think of a, an authentic human approach because ultimately human progression has been laid out with like tons of failure and then like, you know, real, real impactful success points that have come from learning from those failures.